Hello everyone and welcome back to the Shuttle Pod. This is our third episode in our second season of Discovery Podcasts. I am Brian Drew and I'm here with Jared Whitley. Good evening. And Matt Wright. Hey gents, what's up? What's up? So as I said, we'll be talking about episode three, which is entitled Point of Light. It's got a story by Andrew Colville, and Andrew Colville in the past has written for shows like Mad Men and The 4400. Mm-hmm. And the episode is directed by Olatunde Osunsamni, mm-hmm. who is a producer on Discovery and has directed other episodes, and most recently before this directed the very popular Calypso short trick. Oh, yeah. So, guys, third episode of the season. What do we think? Uh, I, I, I will say I've been impressed mostly so far with the second season. I've enjoyed it more than the first season. Mm-hmm. But I think this is the this was weaker than the previous two. I uh, I, I I gotta be honest. As soon as I heard the Klingons speaking and it cut to them, <laughs> I wow. I I got I got I felt like Voke having traumatic flashbacks seeing the Klingons. There. <laughs> oh jeez, that's not that's not appropriate. Um, but is yeah, they it cut to them and they were talking talking Klingon. Uh, you know, trying to garble it through their their um, fake teeth and whatnot. And then she starts speaking English to Voke, and he's like, why are you speaking English to me? And I'm like, no, 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 don't, no, keep speaking English. Don't you dare go back. Uh, <laughs> so that, that was something I, I kind of struggled with. And, and it, it, it kind of felt like the, the writers, just like looking at the Klingon costumes and the sets, it kind of felt like they wanted to be doing an episode of Game of Thrones, not of Star Trek. Yes. Is yeah. that a fair assessment? Yes, it, it very much has it that It feels very, it. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. And, and I liked how there was the one Klingon guy with the white hair, and I, I looked at him and said, oh, he reminds me of that cleric uh, from the monastery on Boreth from that episode of TNG. And then at the end, they go to that monastery. And so I like that. That was some good continuity. That was something that made sense. Like, this is a Klingon, like, religious planet or whatever. Uh, and, and that was uh, kind of continuity that works rather than, like, hitting you over the head fan service. So I like that. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Matt, what did you think? Um, well... Yeah, in the same vein that there was just a lot going on in this episode. Like it was, it was a little bit much to take in at times. Mm-hmm. Um, also, visually, I would say it was a little bit much. I think they got a little too crazy with the camera at times. It was just ah, oh just we, a, yeah, with those bonkers pans or, or like yep. flips flip, or whatever flip I don't down in yeah, yeah some yeah I mean like it was a little too much, uh, but some cool like when you break it down there are interesting bits in this like i think but overall it felt kind of messy and like we needed to service a lot of plot threads all at once Mm -hmm. yeah it very much felt like some of the bad habits that they had during season one yeah when they couldn't stop long enough to concentrate on one thing they had too many things up in the air at once I have to disagree with you about the direction, and I know that your your feeling about how the show was shot has been reflected by a lot of other people. I've seen a lot of people did not like the directing style. That's that's kind of his shtick, really. He moves his camera quite a bit and Dutch angles and all sorts of other stuff. I actually enjoy that. The thing is, I feel like, and it's certainly creative, and it's certainly better than just like a lot of the kind of flat angles you might have come to expect in the Berman angle. I'm just not sure why they were doing it so much and so dramatically. Right. There are places mm-hmm. that it's really well done. Like, I like some of what he did, for sure. Like, there's no yeah. question. But and, and some I didn't of particularly it... like when... Oh, sorry. 
I'm just going to say, yeah, some of it felt unnecessary. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I couldn't mm. figure out why. Like, like you mentioned the Dutch angles, like in the Thor movie, there are a lot of shots at Dutch angles to, sh- to like show that Thor is a fish out of water, right? Like earth is not his home and, and he feels uncomfortable here. Right. So they mm. reinforced that with the cinematography. But this, I, was, I wasn't sure why they were doing it. I guess because I guess I'm kind of used to his style at this point that he kind of, this is kind of his shtick. He, he did it in Calypso, too. He moves his camera a lot. Hmm. But I could see why it would rattle people, and they wouldn't like it. It's definitely an acquired taste, no question. Mm. Well, and again, I, th- I think it was tasteful at certain points, just not like right. every scene change, basically, yeah. you know? Right. Yeah. No, understood. Like, like when they introduced the Section 31 ship, I liked it there because yep. with, with that, they were also showing off the cool bridge they had. Also, yes. mm-hmm. I liked mm-hmm. the creative design of that where the bridge doesn't seem to have the traditional, like, captain's throne in the middle as a way of showing this is a non-traditional organization, right? And, like, one of the things that, um, oh, uh, that they say on Deep Space Nine is Section 31 is so secretive, there are no buildings, right? And so they kind of make a little bit of a hint to that as saying we don't have like a centralized command structure we operate on our own on our own terms so so that was cool mm-hmm. yep but if they don't have buildings why do they have ships and their uh, own graphic yep. design team <laughs> yep. yeah there's all sorts of weird kind of logic gaps when it comes to section 31 and discovery but yeah yeah i also i don't understand why they couldn't just say starfleet intelligence right why, why it has to be the shadow organization. Well, Starfleet themselves wouldn't have a Terran Emperor, I think. It's got to be outside of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. But well, let's circle back to that. Let's just talk we about will. sort we of the, the general episode before we yep. get back to that. Yep. Okay. Do, do we want to talk about uh, the pointed-eared elephant in the room? Yes, because they... <laughs> yes, they, I think we probably they, should. They basically open with that, too, the, talking yeah. about this. So, yeah. So Matt, you want to fill us in on what happened with our? Uh, well, yeah, I think it's interesting Vulcan. because we p- sort of pick back up from last week where we know, you know, Pike basically reveals that he knew that Spock was, you know, committed himself right to a psychiatric ward on Starbase mm. Five, and so that little knowledge bomb was kind of dropped towards the end of the last episode, and then in this episode, um, it picks back up with Pike asking for a status report basically and telling Burnham that he can't get one and that maybe she should, you know, she's thinking, Oh, maybe I should reach out to him. And, um, you know, Pike is like, well, yeah, it's your duty now to reach out to him because he knows about these seven red bursts and, you know, this is the mission we have. So try and reach out to him because he won't re you know, he won't contact me. And then suddenly it was like, Oh no, you can't get a status report. Even though you're his commanding officer, like, Nope, I'm not going to tell you. Of course the, uh, the commander of the starbase uh, even says, you know, oh, there's, you know, stuff went on. We can't tell you. Oh, and by the way, like your guys, your guy went crazy and killed some people, which is just mm-hmm. like, no, no, that's really not the Spock we know. And honestly, yeah. there, this is, I'm almost certain they're, this is a fake out. Like they're messing with us because... We know who's in the mix now, Section 31, and the commander yeah, even uh-huh. says, by the way, he's a captain. I, I, I say commander because he's commander of the Starbase. I think it's dumb that he's a captain. Usually Starbases, Starbase commanders are commanders, but whatever. Or Commodores. Such, such or as, Commodores, such as Commander yeah. Cisco. 
Right, such as Commander Sid, right, or Commodores, right, exactly. But whatever, so he's apparently a captain of a starbase, which is not impossible, but just a weird, like, maybe go back and watch TOS for a sec, guys. Like, that doesn't make sense. Um, no comment. Yeah, so the captain says, although I'm just going to keep referring to his commander because that's his title of the starbase, says, uh, yeah, and, and his records are missing, which, of course, we know why, because um, Amanda shows up. And then he says, but there are people on it. Very kind of like emphasized. There's people on it, and like, hello, that's totally saying that Section Thirty One is looking for Spock and his missing records. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know. I mean, it's it's a throwaway line, but also like, it's pretty like, come on, that's totally what they're getting at. And I, we were kind of joking about this, but I'm I'm glad to see I'm not the only one that I heard that and just immediately thought of uh, was it. Um, Crap. It's, it's it's Raiders, right? Where yeah, they say right. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was like <laughs> in Raiders of the Lost Ark, where oh. they're like, "Oh, top men, you know." We have got... top men working on it right now. Yeah, top Who? men. Yeah. Who? Top men. <laughs> exactly. And I thought of that. I just thought of that, and I'm just like, "All right, we just need to cut yep. away to Spock locked away somewhere, you know, like top men in a where." <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Spock's in a warehouse somewhere. Spock's in a warehouse somewhere, locked away. Yeah. So. That's instantly what I thought of, and I'm glad I wasn't the only one. So, oh yeah, instantly thought of that. Yeah. So um, obviously, then Pike thinks this is like BS. He knows this. There's just something wrong. And of course, Amanda shows up with the stolen records, which is pretty cool. So she's jacked his her records, the records of her son, because they won't release them to his mother, who is also diplomatic, like has diplomatic privileges. Like, hmm. That's mm. not really great. There's something. There's something definitely wrong there, right? So, and as we know, they kind of go back and forth about whether they should unlock that. And then, of course, they have that interesting little top men kind of conversation. And Pike goes, "Okay, well, something's really wrong here. Let's decrypt them and find out what's going on." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. I did find that would be a bit convenient, though, the way that whole scene played out, because Pike is like. You know, Amanda shows up with this, with these, you know, stolen documents, and Pike's very much about, you know, we're not going to look at these, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's against regulations, blah, 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 blah. Then he gets on the on the horn with Starbase, feels that things are a little shifty, and then turns around to Amanda and Burnham and is like, yeah, let's look at these files. Well, you know, I think that's believable because at first he wants to follow the rules, and then he's like, no, th- there's something fishy here. Because he didn't know sure. that, like, Spock supposedly killed people. And I think when he hears that, he goes, no that's totally wrong yeah, right. like yeah, that it, it's too incredulous of a lie right that's just that's just too hard to believe and mm-hmm. so but yeah i see what you mean but that's the thing right we're supposed to remember that in theory pike is kind of by the book until he sees a reason not to be right so right yep so at least there's Fair that enough. It's, i mean it's kind of fitting you know mm-hmm. um i do so it's interesting that of course they go decrypt it and they find various things that of course he's scribbled the red angel like five different ways and all this other stuff and then she finds you know the like psychiatry log that kind of makes it sound like he might have gone psychotic and of course like that worries amanda quite a bit and of course she has a lot of like mom guilt about it which i think is actually a really good scene at first i wasn't sure if i liked it but i think the more i think about it the more i like it because she's got a lot of mom guilt. Like it's it's that's a, like a legit thing. Like she really sure. does worry that like what she didn't do and what she felt she was sort of forbidden to do, like to show 
you know, to sort of nurture Spock in a more human way, maybe that really did mess with him. He is half human after all. So I don't think she really believes that he went psycho, just like Pike doesn't believe it. And I don't think Burnham believes it, but she's got a lot of guilt about like, maybe she did, you know, maybe she doesn't think she did cause that. So I thought that was all pretty good overall. Like all of that part, I will say that we get to this point where we start to figure out they continue to almost tell us what Burnham did to make a massive yeah. a massive rift, and then they they get they tiptoe up to the edge, and then like still don't tell us. And it's I mean she won't even tell Amanda what she did. Yeah, and so I get that, but like at this point they've teased this massive rift between them for three straight episodes. Yeah, <laughs> and. And I know this is part of an arc and I know that like they're teasing it and it's part of a whole thing, but like, honestly, they got to tell us pretty soon because, or drop it for a little while and then, and then bring it back when Spock friendly shows up because they got to not keep talking about it and then not really showing us like what really happened. It's just getting a little old. Yeah. A a little bit of that can entice you, uh, but too much, um, just makes you aggravated. Right. Oh yeah. Totally. Right. So it's getting a little old. That they just sort of talk about it, but don't get anywhere with it. Um, it is interesting that, of course, that she says that she needed to distance herself from Spock because of the logic logic extremists that, of course, you know, bombed the place where she was first found injured by Sarek. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. Makes the logic extremists um, a lot more prevalent than we thought they were because they were sort of a backwards order that popped up a little bit back in Enterprise and then of course mm. showed up in Lethe last season. Right. Yeah. Right. But that was the last time we saw them. Right. But they're supposed to be sort of a fringe group, but that makes it sound like that they are a little less fringe than you think, you know, if they're if she's that worried. Uh, the other thing that that kind of reminds me of, if we're talking about Vulcan renegades and the Sarek family, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is there's an illogical renegade who is perhaps yes, unaccounted for in this um, unusual family dynamic we have. Yes, there is. In theory, he's a little bit older and is maybe off somewhere, but yeah, there's a whole, right. There's a, there's a definite renegade half, half brother to Spock around somewhere Mm -hmm. that we're not talking about. He's off looking for Shakari right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I I gotta be honest, I'm kind of among the many things I struggle with, with the Burnham character, her being folded into the, Sarek family is something I, I'm really having trouble with because I can't take her seriously as like her own character because it feels like they've shoehorned her into something else and saying like, oh, you you have to like her because she's ha- she's adopted sister of this guy you really like. And, and the, maybe you guys said this term, maybe I read it somewhere, but it, it makes it kind of feel like fanfic, right? To have her tacked on like that. And I, I, mm-hmm. I it's just something I'm struggling with. But... If they mention Cybok, I will forgive everything. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know what you mean. I understand, I you yeah, the, yeah, the idea there for sure. It is hard because they they keep doing this thing where Burnham is a potentially very interesting character. Like, there's a lot of interesting aspects, like potentially, but they they won't. They just keep going. Oh, by the way, did did, did you remember that she's also like adopted with Spock's bro? You know, and Spock. Like, yeah. Did you remember? Did you remember? And it's like cool. Maybe let her just grow into her own character, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think they know it. I don't think they know. I, I've I've said this at nauseum at this point, but I don't really think the show yeah. un- knows what to do with Burnham. No, I don't think so either. I think Brian Fuller had an idea, maybe. And yeah, I think he did, and then that, that's about it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, there's a lot of potential. She's she's potentially yeah. very interesting. We just have to get somewhere, you know. See, and yeah. I've been I've been thinking more about my Ninja Turtles analogy, and I really think that Burnham, the role she should play is the role of the Raphael in the group, where she's the more emotional one. Um, but they can't do that when she's also like the logical one, right? Because they're trying to do that with her. And so yeah. I feel like it's something that kind of prevents her from being as interesting of a character as maybe she could be or filling a yeah. role that's where there's a, a gap. Well, I mean, and I'm hoping that like in a sense that she can become that person, right? Because like she's, she's slowly, slowly, slowly starting to trust more people, starting to feel more comfortable, like as a human, not like a, mm. a human stuffed into a Vulcan's, you know, body, so to speak, you know, it's like, she can't mm-hmm. be that person. She's sort of relearning to be a human um, it's you know because really like she only seemed to really start to do that very slowly under Giorgio and then of course Giorgio was killed and you know and she spent years very very slowly it sounds like coming out of this Vulcan like existence so hopefully we get there though and then maybe she can show more emotion and we can move her into that role like you were saying there like maybe she can pos- sort of fill that position but we're not there yet that's for sure no so enough about burnham for the moment because that's sort of all we've learned about we've just learned a tiny really we've only learned a tiny tiny bit more which is that she felt she needed to distance herself from spock because of the threat you know they could get to sort of get to her through him kind of stuff which is understandable okay so but apparently it had to be super drastic and we still don't know what we still don't know what apparently she did something that so upset him that he he refuses yeah doesn't even want to acknowledge her existence right so and then we get to our next sort of plot line, because as we talked about, we have to service a lot of plot lines. We get to our next sort of plot line, and this is one, of course, we really haven't seen anything since the end of season one. So I was interested to see where this was going, for sure. Like, it was, I at first was a little worried that, like, I wasn't going to care in the sense that I've been really invested in, in the main mystery. But I did really enjoy this sort of diversion to Kronos, I, I have to oh, say. Oh, the Klingon stuff, yes. yes. So now we go over to Laurel, and what happened, you know, where's, where's Laurel? in uh how is how is her new regime as chancellor holding up because i think we all wondered like well if you just have this controller pad which is dna coded to her so in theory you can't just take it from anyone like and use it but still now what right so Mm. she's got the the ipad of death as we sort of (laughs) call it um but now what right like how does she lead what does she do and so I think we all were, you know, I think we're all sort of curious about that. Like what yep, happens. definitely. Um, and so, of course, it opens with her doing something again, kind of like um, a little fourth Wally in a way, a little like blatant recognition that maybe some stuff they did last season didn't, didn't go over well. Yeah. Yeah. Was not only, of course, do we see the revised Klingon makeup and hair and things, but straight up is a basically you know a slightly more decorated slightly more katingoed version of a d7 is being shown yes. on screen. Oh, yeah oh, front yeah and that center. was very that was very yeah they drew plenty of attention to that they front were, yeah here center. it is all yep. you guys were complaining about the Klingon ships look yeah. look front and center saying that this would be a new you know a new military vessel from the combined 24 houses under their new combined you know Klingon symbol like their new banner um which is a you know not a bad way to kind of cover yeah. you know recover yeah. i yeah. would say yep yeah, i agree um, um ha- having said that though like like i mentioned they're, they're trying to go all game of thrones on this and they're talking about the light of Kales 
and it's mm-hmm. all very mythical. And the name of their new ship is the D7, right? So it's it's not like the scimitar of heaven or something more, or, or yeah, even bird of Well, prey. the funny part it's, is, it, it's or, yeah. it's it's like they're playing battleship D7, yeah. right? That's <laughs> but, but you know what you know what they could have done? They could have called it the Katinga. Mm-hmm. There we go. They could have and probably should have because that's what it most resembles is the sort of upgraded D7. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, uh, all the Katinga class really is, is, yeah, is an is a D7 with extra detailing on it. Yeah. Exactly. Right. That's all it is. The right. dimensions of the ship are identical. Yeah, it's a D7 upgraded for the motion picture. That's really yeah, all. That's it all is. it is. Right. So they could have easily said, you know, called yeah. it a, the Katinga class, and I think that would have been fine. But they could have. Um, but you know, there you go. D7 because that's sort of what fits appropriate for the timeline, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. the point. Yeah, it's t- fine. Whatever. It's a, this is it's a silly nitpick. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Um, yeah. I would also like to point out that there's definitely an error in season one when they called that ship a D7, and they're trying and they're trying to fix that both canonically and sort of unofficial, like not well officially but non-canonically in the merchandise because that ship that that class of ship. Apparently, sort of behind the scenes, was always called the Sec class, like Sec class, which is like torch for torch. You know, it's their word for oh, torch. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I didn't and know that. And so, so Eagle Moss's official line of, of starships has it called that. They did not call it a D seven because it's not. Yeah, there was and, nothing. It resembled nothing. And, and quite frankly, appears to be a production mistake that like they rec- they had the voiceover like person who did the computer readout read the script and they called it a D seven and they shut them up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so they're sort of all just kind of going, yep, let's just, let's just move on, please. Like, sorry. Like there were sort of mistakes made. <laughs> let's just move mm-hmm. on. So. Yeah. There was a lot of course correcting being done with the Klingons in this episode. Some of which they drew attention to. And I didn't think they even needed to. Right. Like, you know, the whole the English bit, you know, it's fine. You know, we know the Klingon language didn't work all that well. And you're going to start mm-hmm. speaking English. It's I, fine. I will to... say at the very end, they, I think they do a good job with that where, instead of calling attention to it as Lorel is giving her, you know, big re, you know, reinvigorating speech, we'll save what she says towards the later. But when she's doing that, they do a cool thing where they, it, it's a, it's a, it's a variant on the hunt for red October thing, right? Mm, where, sure. yep. where they push into her well, they flip and then push into her a little bit. And as they do that, she starts out in Klingon with like, you know, English subtitles and then it flips. Then she mm-hmm. starts speaking English, and you get Klingon subtitles for a split second until they just dissolve. Because it's like, okay, you get the idea. Like, yep. we all understand what just happened here. They're really still speaking Klingon. Like, it's fine. Right. It's fine. Yeah. Like, we get it. It's fine. And everything's good, you know? And so that was good. That was smart. Yeah, I mean, when we were watching TNG or even TOS, when the Klingons were amongst themselves, even though you're hearing them speak English, I think we all assume they're speaking Klingon. Well, sure, and that's a you standard. Take, just, yeah, it's a standard dramatic license. license. Yeah, right. dramatic license. That's it's all typical. it is. Right, right. So they're so trying good. to fix a bunch so, of things. So yeah, kudos to them on that. And, kudos, um, yep. I, I did like the first bunch of sort of, you know, politics and and back and forth with Kolsha, you know, Cole's dad. Mm-hmm. Also, also played by Ken Mitchell, so that's yep. great. Nice to see Ken back. Yes, it was definitely nice to see. He loves he loves being a Klingon. Like he's awesome at it and has a lot of fun with it. So it's nice he's that he a... gets to play his own character's father. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And of course, he's an outspoken you know critic of Lorel, and you know just the whole thing is just is just pretty good Klingon classic Klingon politics and posturing and mm-hmm. 
I don't know what yeah. you guys thought, but I, I personally, I mean, it's fine. I, I'm I've never been much of a aficionado of the Klingon geopolitics and any of the other mm-hmm. things involving the drama behind the Klingon Empire. I find it very boring. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was never into like a lot of the. I mean, I wanted to see Worf get his honor back, but sure. the rest of it, I, like a lot of those Ron Moore Klingon mythology episodes bored me to death. Okay. Interesting. I, that that would pop. We, we need to make yeah. that its whole own uh, episode. Because <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'd be interested to hear your opinions about that. I think that he meant well when he was building up that culture, but to me, he made them very one-dimensional. The Klingon Empire. See, and, 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 and my problem with it is always... And, and I think I've said this on the shuttle pod before, certainly to you guys. But the thing I love about the TOS and original movie Klingons is it's their way of making, um, using aliens to make our adversaries, the Soviets, seem more human, right? And so, like in Day of the Dove, when when she talks about how we, we've heard all the terrible things that you do when you capture prisoners. And Scotty's like, no, you do that to prisoners. We don't. And it's like right, right. people use the same kind of propaganda against each other. It's very... Um, mature right for the day that it did that and like Mm -hmm. you look at the klingons in in voyage home or undiscovered country and they're so three-dimensional right whereas you know some of the ron moore stuff and and then certainly some of the season one discovery stuff like they're so dumb like how could that society function well that's just it like i i sometimes when i'm watching them carry on with one another i wonder how this race ever achieved Space travel capability. Sure, it just because, seems like they would exactly, just utterly. Yeah, did, they would spend yeah, how, their, how so could, much of their time infighting that they would never develop the the, the, the mindset in order to achieve the technological yeah. leap necessary. Yeah, yeah. We to, we, to we see a Klingon scientist, I think, exactly once, and that's an Enterprise when they start to uh-huh. look through the augment virus yeah. stuff. It's like it's like, yeah. they're, they're and like he's a just like, yeah, I have right? no, yeah, and we. But even a biker gang's got to have the guy that cooks the meth. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> So, well, there, I was gonna say there's an episode of Deep Space Nine where Martok talks about like there's a caste system in the Klingon Empire, yes, and that kind of explains yes. it. Like the warrior caste is who we see, and they're the one who behaves that way. And then with Discovery, the idea of having these you know 24 different houses that could kind of fold into that a little bit. Um, but but you're right, it, I I agree that some of it went over the over the top. Yeah. I just get boring, like yeah, like you were saying. There's a lot of posturing that goes on. Like, like all right, I've seen all this before. Sure. Um, I well, do think mm-hmm. I, I do think that the production design of what we saw oh, was beautiful, really good yeah. looking. I yeah, liked a lot the, of it. Yeah, it was really nicely done. I was very impressed with you know, like like most of Discovery's production design, it's very nicely realized. Yeah, Laurel's Chancellor like house is very cool. Her yes, very like, much. Yeah, very much. What do we think? of how the makeup has been altered um i don't really like it i think it's a good improvement they've like they've kind of varied from like minor tweaks on some of the characters you know like in the background Mm -hmm. to well of course quite a bit different for laurel um it looks like they're doing they're letting mary chifo sort of out more which is good like you can see a little more of her face i think that's probably for the best yes absolutely so yeah 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 it's definitely a, a blend of the original klingon makeup and the discovery version of the Klingon makeup. Yes. So we'll see. And, yeah. And I tend to think the reason we're seeing the, the older discovery makeup in the background is because they have all those they have appliances them. made yeah. and they're going to yeah. use them. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, for the pilot, they made a bunch of, you know, just kind of 
stamp them out, you know, heads for all the background yep. actors. So they've yep, got yep, them. Yep. And, and so, yeah, of course, they're going to keep using Yeah, they're going to use them. They're going to use them. Oh, yeah, sure. But no this deal. will make all the uh, the uh, the Klingon uh, hair people very happy. The yeah. Klingons and I li- have I, their hair back. I, and I kind of like the variety of how they had their hair, too. Like, some people mm-hmm. kind of had, like, a mohawk going on. Some people were still mostly bald, but they had a pretty sweet like Fu Manchu going on, you know, mm-hmm. which is a, which is a little more TOSy actually of them to have. It that. is, it and is. Uh, so it was good. I liked it. Um, I also thought it's interesting that we know to go back to sort of the relationship side of things that we get a lot of good moments between Tyler and Laurel, and that they have a lot of quieter moments of like what their life on Kronos is like, right? Mm-hmm. And there's, I think that's that really good moment where Laurel kind of wants to be with Tyler, and Tyler feels, of course, like an oath to her, but he doesn't necessarily feel that he can be with her the way she wants to be, you know, right? Basically, a kind of romantic sexual relationship, and he like wants that, but of course, he's two people, right? He's mm-hmm. got this fusion of like what happened to him both as Voke and then what happened to him, like from his point of view as Tyler. And I like that there's that moment where, as Tyler, he even says, but as Tyler, like, I, you, when you touch me, I actually feel like a violation. Yeah, that was that was a good moment. And I think that was, and again, dude, Mary Chifo and Shazad Latif are so, are so good. Like, they nail it in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the actors have always been good. Maybe they don't always get the best lines, but the acting has always been just top Yeah, notch. generally very good. Yeah. I agree. Um, so I loved that. I thought that was a really great, like, okay, here we go. Like he can't just go off and be her torchbearer, like without consequences. Right. Cause you know, at the end of season one, he says like, I'm, I'm her torchbearer. I'm going to go off and like, you know, be her right hand man. And you know, sure. Of course things don't work out perfectly between them or the fact that he's not accepted by other Klingons because well, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's a human now. So yep. they're not going to accept him readily. And so I thought that was good to bring that up because, you know, it doesn't just work out that way. Right. You know, mm-hmm. you don't just get to go. Yeah, he's my torchbearer. And they ride off into the sunset, you know, ruling Kronos, because that's not how it works. Of course, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really good. And then I liked the Tyler and the Burnham moments. I thought those were really good. It was nice to see Burnham sort of come around to seeing Ash, not Vogue, you know yeah yeah i like that and i did like the little um fun use of the the of that they weren't really in the same room but they were shot that way for a few minutes to give them some sort of intimacy even though really they were supposed to be holograms but at a certain point that we just sort of pulled back and we just watched the two of them kind of almost split screen but not yeah, yeah, yeah. much nicer much more advanced than typical split screen but essentially that's what it was mm-hmm. absolutely as uh, as people have called it, it's the um, uh, Ray and Kylo Ren kind of thing that they did. In <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the same. It's the same basic like kind of setup. It is. It, it is. Totally it's, is. It's the same basic setup. Which there's nothing wrong with that. I think it, it worked well there and it worked well here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I liked all that. Um, <laughs> then I think we get to the really soapy part. Like you know, Klingons yeah. are always kind of soap opera, right? I mean. Like, I think, Brian, that's one of the things you were almost kind of hitting on but not saying directly is, like, a lot of Ron Moore stuff almost becomes a soap opera, like a Klingon soap opera in a way. It does. And so, man, does this get soapy. And I'm not sure I really like all of how like all of this, to be honest. 
Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not sure I'm, I'm okay with the fact that they just, like, reveal that Laurel conveniently now has this baby. Like, what? Yeah. I get it. It felt very soap opery. Yeah, it was like, hey, did you know we want to just throw in a twist for twist's sake? Here it is. Yeah. Like, just before Voke got converted, he knocked Laurel up, and then Laurel, <laughs> Laurel didn't really want anything to do with it either because she was already on a mission, so she had it gestated for her, like, you know outside of the womb cool like i like sure like i'm sure that there's advanced medical technology that could do that potentially in the 23rd century especially for a hardy little klingon baby right sure but like but okay cool that's not the problem the problem is just like why did we do that okay um yeah really really for the twist so kolsha can then take it hold it for ransom basically and this is one of those points where it's like you can see them setting up the machinations just because, you know, like, oh, we need to may have this happen. So Kolsha yeah. could kidnap it. So Kolsha can get slaughtered by Giorgio and she can save the day. And then Giorgio can basically lay down some rules to keep Lorel empowered. It's like, oh, okay. Now we're just watching plotting unfold. And I don't think I like that so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't really care about the, the head thing. I thought that was kind of cool, but I know it's very games of thronesy. I know it actually put off about people. Some yeah, people. It did. I kind of expected it at this point, given the way yeah. that they were going with this episode. Yes, I have to agree. Yeah, I agree with you. It was fine. I, it didn't bother me, but I know it bothered some people. In the context of the Discovery Klingons, it it, it made sense. Yeah, I think it was fine. Um, yeah. I do think the part that bothers me far more than that is the fact that we had to have Section 31 come in and basically save yeah. the day. And another part that sort of bothers me is that is that effectively... Kolsha is correct that she is a puppet of the Federation because that's effectively what happens is she cements the fact that Section 31 has pull on the Chancellor, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I'm hoping that where this goes is that Lorel, because Lorel can be strong. Like, we, can, we have seen her be a good character and a strong person. And so I'm hoping that where this kind of goes is this was help that she needed at the time. So she takes it, but eventually we see at some point that there's a pushback, right? Like she does not just go along with what Giorgio wants for her, but she's not okay. Just being like, yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine she's going to be thrilled about this. No, I don't think so either. But so I hope later we see that because at the moment it doesn't look good for her as far as looking like a Federation puppet, you know? Yep. Uh, Oh, I agree. Hmm. Yeah, and then we have all the Section 31 stuff. Right, and so, holy, all right, there we go. So Section 31 cloned these heads for her, huh? Okay. I mean, really, I guess we could jump, let's maybe just talk about that then for a sec, I guess. But Yeah, yeah, by all means. I, I thought it was interesting, of course, that we get the cool Section 31 ship, which, of course, is also strange because Section 31 shouldn't have anything cool and unique of their own, but whatever. Since, yeah, but since this is the versions, they've yeah. got their own uh, yeah. badges and all sorts of stuff. Since this is the way they're att- they're going to express Section Thirty One in this in this series, okay, so we'll go. Let's go with it. Mm-hmm. Fine. Um, so we see the cool Section yeah, Thirty One ship. A, that's a terrible way to keep a secret organization secret. Yes. Yes, so, it is. So we see the cool Section Thirty One ship that uh, they don't exactly. It's not clear enough to tell if they really have a cloaking device, but some kind of stealth tech on their hull shimmers when they approach Boreth. Um, there's something, you know, interesting going on with their hull. We're not really sure what. And, of course, 
they drop um they drop little baby he has no name but the invoke and morel's baby is dropped off to be raised by the monks on boreth which of course by the way is where we get the episode title point of light because that's where Kalis points to the point of light in the sky and says you'll find me there mm-hmm. so there's our episode title which is nice that's a good klingon callback um mm. And then, of course, we get the well, whole... Yeah, because I think Worf makes mention of that in... Worf makes yes. mention of that in uh, Rightful Air. That's exactly what I was saying, right. There's the legend of Kalis, and he points to a star, and he says, look for oh, me sorry. at that point of light. Yep. So that's Boreth. And so that's good, like, cool. That's a little nice tie-in to what we know of Klingon culture and the monks there. Uh, and then the Section 31 ship looks cool i don't know what you guys thought of it but yeah yeah it totally looked cool yeah multi-level it's, it's actually a very and, and by oh, the way, i thought it looked great the shimmering effect the, was beautiful yeah and kudos yep. to the production design team because that is a totally gutted and rebuilt shenzhou bridge believe it or not yep they did a great job of that they did yeah um, fantastic yep you'd never know it yep uh the shenzhou was for people who don't know the shenzhou was basically a two-story set because of being off the ground to do those cool shots because the Shenzhou's bridge was like under the saucer. So they actually built it off the ground to do cool swoop in shots like of the bridge. And so it's a perfect choice for them because they've got the skeleton there, right? They've already got it like off the ground. So it was easy for them to rebuild this to into proper, like a proper two story set. Cause it basically mm-hmm. was already. Um, Anyway, cool stuff. The other interesting thing is, well, we we officially meet Leland because that was a deleted scene before. The, right. Um, he doesn't really do much, but he's there. And he does drop something that I find interesting is he drops the name control or the term. Mm. We're not really sure how it's used. Um, and, of course, control is sort of a classical spy thing, right? It sounds very classical spy. And... Yep. The other thing it is, is apparently, I don't know the memory beta stuff because I'm not really a reader of the novels, but in the novels, there really is a control uh, AI program that is sort of in charge of Section 31 in the novels. So they're either bringing in kind of memory beta stuff and making it officially canonical by saying it, or they're just using the cool control idea from things like, uh, well, you, you pointed out, Brian, from the John LeCare movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Spy from, came from came yep. from the cold. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yep. Uh, the Tailor of Panama. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know he's written many books over the right. years. Right. And yeah. control is an idea there that that's the ultimate you know whatever figurehead of in the spy ring in, in British super intel in to British intelligence. Yep. Right. Right. And of course that kind of stuff shows up not necessarily called control but that kind of stuff called shows up everywhere. Like the one I thought of is is the Avengers, the 60s British spy show, not Marvel stuff, sure. <laughs> has a concept where they call <laughs> that, that has the same idea where so, someone called Mother hands out assignments to them. Right. You know, things like that. So it's a common spy idea. Whether they're using them sort of memory beta thing or not, it's a common spy thing. So that's interesting. They kind of just drop that nugget in there at the very end. And then uh, they kind of go off to do whatever the hell they please, and I guess well, in a couple of episodes they'll work, they'll come back. We know that. Yeah, I mean, this is clearly the beginning of the attempt to build almost a elaborate backdoor pilot for a potential Section Thirty One oh, series. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, this will we'll see what happens. 
Yeah, so we'll see where that goes. In fact, in the past week, we learned a little bit more about that. As it turns out, that series is not greenlit yet. Yes, the the press talked about it almost like assuming it was, and it's not. It's in development, but they have not officially right. said it's a go. Right, yeah. The CBS executives earlier this week stated that it's not right it's not a done deal yet which makes way more sense because like really if you're smart sure you can start kind of playing around with the idea but geez Mm -hmm. you better see how people react to what they do in season two with section 31 you know yes absolutely absolutely so cool that's maybe smarter than then um and so that's our crazy chrono stuff so back on the discovery right the other the next plot line is of course what the heck is going on with tilly and her crazy and may the crazy sort of not really ghost but something or other that is but won't won't leave her alone so she's back in in the back on discovery doing a marathon with her other command trainees mm-hmm. um i thought this scene was really unusual and had to think about it a few times that like why were all the lights flickering and stuff even before like may interferes with her the lights were flickering and stuff during the marathon during the marathon yes sorry during the marathon and I realized that the only thing, talking about it, I think the only thing, you know, with other people, the only thing that makes sense is Saru, because Saru is in control of it, because he, he pulls the lights back on, like, when they're done, um, mm. was trying to make, like, an unusual, disorienting, emergency kind of situation, right? So you're trying to, like, put up with weird stimuli while you're running as, like, a way to, like, condition yourself, Right. You're supposed mm. to be able to handle emergency conditions and have stamina and go through it, whatever. That's the only thing I can think of that makes any sense as to why they did that. Mm. Um, so, of course, May won't leave Tilly alone in the middle of her running her ass off and <clears throat> trying really hard to win. And so sort of pulls her out of the marathon. You know, it's almost like she pulled her out of time for a second. Yeah, And totally. starts bothering her about this and that and, you know that's you know what whatever and um it's not really clear what goes on but near as i can tell and maybe you guys saw this differently but from from thinking about it a few times and rewatching it, it it basically looks like after she kind of yells at tilly and freaks her out she kind of drops her back in at not quite the lead of the pack but almost towards the lead of the pack so then tilly is sort of pissed from this may stuff and puts on a big burst of speed and that's how she wins because mm-hmm. yeah. she wasn't exactly winning before she was kind of lagging behind and i think yeah uh may basically drops her back in and you know back in sort of in in competition yeah and she wins. yeah I, yeah i think that's what happened but i have to say that was very whole sequence is very confusing it's it very was, yeah it's very confusing they didn't stage it particularly well no it was very confusing one and one of the little clues that may helped and sort of dropped her back in the lead was may even even says so at a certain point in one of her little sort of tirades is that she helped she's she goes oh i even helped you you know when like how you how dare you ignore me i just helped you you know things like that like yep. when she's trying to get ignored um after she wins and they're congratulating her you know may is like hey you should be talking to me i helped you win so there's something to that yep and this is this is a point where Tilly definitely has a learning needs to you know a lesson to learn here because honestly even at this point she probably should have stopped and asked for help. Now that's hard to ask for help sometimes, 
I'm yeah, just especially and if I get you it. think you're the only person who can see something. Exactly. People are going to think you're, you're crazy. And crazy. Tilly, people already probably think Tilly's a little, a little nutty to begin yeah. with. Yeah. And, and she's in a high-stress environment, and so they may think, oh, this is more stress than she can handle. She shouldn't be in the program. She's right. Too young and so she's very, right. 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 So she's very afraid of maybe they'll just kick her out for saying something. So I totally get that she doesn't. But boy, does it explode really badly. It just goes very badly for her when she's on the bridge. And she has this total freak out. And, of course, May is harping on her, like, what are you doing? And that's not the captain. And, of course, the captain she describes as Stamets, you know, this pale, that's the wrong guy. He's this pale blonde guy, you know. And mm-hmm. um, and that was weird. It was like, wait, huh? And until it's like, oh, duh, she's talking about Stamets because, well, spoiler alert, she's a spore entity. You know, we find that out yes. about a few minutes later. We find that out. And then it starts to make more sense. I think that's what we all assumed anyway, because hey, that's that 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 spore flake fell on her shoulder in episode thirteen of season one, and we knew they were going to come back to it somehow. Yeah, so. I, I didn't see it quite that clearly oh, okay. right away. I assume, I mean, I it seemed very obvious that that was some sort of hostile life form, but I didn't make the association right uh, away. Yes, that it was a spore. As soon as she showed up in the last episode, I started to think about that. And I was like, oh, mm, okay. Yeah. Well, especially since uh, Stamets is having uh, spore visions too, right? No, he sees stuff when he's in, when he's navigating, but not oh, outside. Oh, but not him. otherwise. Okay, yeah. yeah, okay. All right, never mind. Yeah. But, I mean, that all that all sort of ties together, whereas, like, he knows that there's more going on in there, right? Like, he said to her, in, the, in Brother even, he said, like, oh, yeah, I've seen, I've seen Hugh, and I know that there's more to it than this. So this is all going to come together soon, obviously. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, her, her bridge thing was really hard to watch. Not in a bad way. Like, I mean, Mary Wiseman did an excellent job. It was just yeah, very Mary's hard very to watch because, you know, like she's very torn about this whole thing. She doesn't want to have May talking in her ear. You know, she doesn't want this. Um, the one thing that I found a little ridiculous almost was Saru. Um as I think our colleague Lori called it, I think she was the one to coin this phrase, is that it's Den Mother Saru, where he just, get, <laughs> you know, he just like, he just like full names her and is like, I can't believe you, you know. And really, he should have, you know, as as their commanding officer, he should have just been like, get off the bridge. You're disgusted. Yeah. Turn yeah. your, and take yourself to sickbay. You know what I mean? It, like, it should have been, you, you're, you're done for the day, Ensign. Take, yep. take, take two laps and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Right, exactly. Yep. It should have been a little more formal. I know he's fond of her. I totally get that, but he—it sh- should have been a little more formal. I think personally, um, and I also think Saru should have followed up with her. Not, not again. Again, not like in a in a bad way, but I think Saru should have also followed up with her later, um, just to have a talk with her and say, you know, as a good commander, knows when they're compromised and knows when to ask for help because a compromised captain is no good, right? Like you can't. And so I I wish that, you know, I don't want to disparage the really great Burnham and Tilly connection that they have. And if, you know, in in the next scene, but I wish that Saru had later said, here's another lesson of being in the command training program, which is a good commander knows when they're compromised. And you could have come to me and told me because I don't think you're crazy. I would have never thought you were crazy. Like you could have come to me and told me and we would have investigated this, you know, right, right. together. I do wish there was a little moment like that later, but that's kind of nitpicking. Like that's okay. All right. Maybe whatever. there will be. I hope so. It, 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 it would just be a nice, another nice uh, moment of Saru mentoring Tilly, you know, Yeah, because this blob story is not over yet. No, not, no, it's definitely not. So, um, and I do, again, I love that 
Tilly and Burnham have a really great moment and Burnham is really upset from what went on with Amanda and so they kind of run into each other at both upset like sort of upsetting moments and have a really great you know bond together and work, mm-hmm. work through things together I really liked that what I disliked was that it was very hasty I don't like how fast suddenly Burnham realized that she's not crazy which is fine you can realize you're like you can go through the checklist of like no you're not crazy pretty quickly you know what I mean like mm-hmm. but she jumps to some conclusions pretty quickly like um, oh, it must be spore related. Well, how did you know that? How did yeah. you need you need to be a better scientist and eliminate some other possibilities first <laughs> before you get there? And again, see, this is what's problem is I feel like they rushed through. They just service yeah. all these plot threads, and so yeah, what the a heck? Lot going on. Like yeah, so you know we get to this kind of hasty conclusion that it's a spore thing, which of course it is. She's right, but like okay, we got there pretty kind of quickly. Just a nitpick, like what we got there a little too quickly. Yeah, sure. Um, and then yeah, I mean, here we go. Like it's a spore thing. It's that spore that fell on her shoulder in episode thirteen while in the mirror universe. It definitely has something to say, so it's kind of sentient, and that's really interesting. Like, what? Why would this be sort of sentient? Like, why does this seem to know what's going on? Why does it say very clearly? Like, I I'm trying to remember. Like at a certain point, Maeve even says. Uh, it's like something about it's becoming clearer. Like I have something to, to tell you. Like why won't you just like let me communicate, right? right. And that's and that's when she's being like ripped out of Tilly. You know, as she May is being. And so there are two thoughts I had about that. One is well, that's really interesting, and I kind of wonder if that's not Hugh somehow expressing himself to, through Tilly. Hmm. Because, again, it's this whole, like, I have something to say. Like, let me communicate, you know? Like, she even, like, at one point, May even says, like, why don't, like, re- like something about, like, why aren't, why aren't you repeating what I'm saying to them? You know, things like that. Like, she wants to use Tilly, like, as a medium, basically. And yeah, so, yeah. so I don't know what that's about. Maybe it's that. Um, more on a nitpick side, I feel like it's not quite, again, with this hastiness, I feel like, there's a more Trekian thing to do here, which is that they should have actually taken a few minutes to communicate with May through Tilly to try and figure out what her deal is and if she is malicious or harmful. They kind of just assumed that she was harmful and just like yanked it out of Tilly mm-hmm. without attempting to t- kind of communicate or like figure out. Because like, you know, Stamet scans it and even goes like, wow, this is some complex like spore thing that's we've never seen before. So... Mm-hmm shouldn't you maybe want to like ask it a few questions first and then pull it out if it gets malicious, yeah. you know, like, I don't know. I've seen, again, a little hasty kind of to move things along. I feel like. Yeah. Although if it were me and a friend of mine had that kind of, Oh sure. I think you'd be ready. Inside of her, ready to I pull might it be out. Like, yeah. Let's get that thing out and, and ask and, questions. And Tilly later. does get scared and eventually, and does say, okay, whatever, just yank it out. So I get it. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I do. Um, yeah. And yeah, that blob that blob doesn't want to go. E- yeah, and it doesn't want to go easily, does it? Like it, it's nope. It's very unhappy <laughs> to leave. So. Yeah. But I I think we all assume that this is part of an elaborate, obviously, campaign to get Culber back. It it seems like that's in maybe directly or indirectly somehow this is how we get Culber back. Yeah. 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 So again, like I I, I didn't hate any of this. It just felt too too rushed. Like all this just suddenly happened. 
And yep. the whole episode felt a bit messy because of it. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Hopefully they uh, they slow things down a little bit. I have a feeling episode. they will. I, I just feel like this was like this, like, oh, we're in episode three. Well, crap, we spent two episodes really focusing on one thing. Let's 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 go, you know, get some other plot threads in here. Let's go right. do it. We have to lay the groundwork let's for get this, this, going. this, this, and this. Yeah. yeah, let's get this going. So they spent a kind of accelerated time with all this. So, yeah, um, I think that's all the specific details, right? But um, there's mm-hmm. a few other little things <laughs> that I found sort of uh, amusing-ish is like, why are Burnham and Tilly still sharing quarters? Like Burnham's got. Yeah, a, I wondered that too. Burnham's got her rank back, and she's in fact she's a commander, and she's like the third in line to command. So usually people that high up in the chain don't share with a junior officer. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of that is cool. clearly a junior officer's quarters. I yeah, mean, was... I mean, there's the two bunks and they're sharing, and that's why Tilly can walk in on Burnham, and they can like share that moment is because they're still sharing quarters. Yeah. So I guess she just never requested an upgrade or something. Yeah, and I could see that because Burnham, you know, again, that sort of, that sort of very functional sort of Vulcan side of her would be like, why would I, why would I care, right? Like, I don't care to change quarters. And she likes Tilly, and they have a good relationship, so maybe she's fine with it, you know? Still just kind of weird. It's like, well, you know, you got your rank back, and it has privileges. (laughs) So, uh, if we want to go down a path for a second... On a crazy sure. fan theory that I would like to discuss, yeah, yeah, probably, oh, yeah. probably yeah. And, yes, I, and, and I think debunk a little too while we're talking about it <coughs> is, of course, um, Voke and Laurel's son has the albinism of Voke, right? And so that's interesting. And of course, uh, the house of Core, which is what Cole and his father are part of, um, you know, wanted to kill him and used him as trade, you know, for for blackmailing what is his what what is his mom but of course he has no idea that's his mother because he's a baby and left at the doorstep of a monastery (laughs) but okay yep so in theory if he ever figured this out he does have a reason to be mad at the house of core which kind of then people started thinking oh hey remember blood oath in deep space nine and there's this evil albino character that they never you know they never do say what his like species is yeah that's always been i've always wondered that mm -hmm. he does kind of look klingon like he may be again he he could be a klingon right he could be this albino klingon sort um it kind of works but the only things that are kind of like hard about this is that so memory alpha projecting back on based on what they said is that they went after... So, Kor, Kang, and Koloth, right, all get into it with the albino at a certain point. We know that. Um, apparently, it's eh, somewhere in the 2290s that they do this, that they go after him. Um, so, it's 2257 right now. So, that would make this Vulcan Laurel, you know, bastard child, basically, um, only like 33 at the time that they're supposed to have been chasing down the albino. I see. And the albino at that point, it's it is was already a known criminal who had done a bunch of raids on Klingon colonies and stuff. So it gets it gets from I don't see it's really hard for me to see how this thirty three year old who was raised in a monastery his entire life because that's where he was dropped off, right? Like he sure. was raised in this monastery, and they talk about how it's very exclusive and people usually don't leave, mm. you know, from there. Uh, Raised in a monastery, and then by 33, he had an infamous reputation of, like, 
pillaging other like Klingon colonies and evading like top top Klingon warriors, right? Cause, so cause I, all all the top men were working on Indiana Jones. That's the problem. Right, right, exactly. So I don't know, man. It's 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 an it would it's a nice idea, but I don't think it quite pans out. Yeah, I have to agree. They may have intended for that to be kind of like that. I don't know. You know, they might have been like, "Here's a great way to connect to canon, you guys." When they wrote it, ooh, look at this. We'll drop a little hint. This kind of, but I don't think it actually works. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Very good. Well, anybody else have any other final thoughts? The one thing I wanted to say is when uh, when we did our Orville episode, I was pretty effusive in enjoying the Orville more than Discovery. But I think Discovery's season two, mm-hmm. d- uh, they're doing a better job than the Orville is. Um, yeah, the Orville started out a little, it a little it's uneven. Kind of been, it's been putter, sputtering. The only episode I really liked they've done was the one where they brought back, where they have John Billingsley and Robert Picardo in it. It was, yep. it was fun to see the two of them, but the last two episodes particularly have been really boring. Um, and this last week's was pretty good, actually. Thursdays, I like this. Thursdays oh, was with, pretty fun with the uh, with um, Doctor Finn and Isaac. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the pretty. Problem, fun. problem I have with that is it felt too much like the TNG episode in theory, and there was no A plot. Like that would have been a good B plot to some kind of adventure they were doing. Instead, it was the whole episode. Anyway, I didn't want to get in the beauty. That. I just want to say I think Discovery is doing a better job hitting its stride. So they, they have so far. This one I think is a little bit of a misstep, but but I think yeah, I think yeah, episode four. Off. But I, I uh, from the preview of the next episode, it looks like they're sort of back on track. You know, back focusing on sort of one one major you know scene set you know set point like mm-hmm. so. Let's hope so. And, yeah, next uh, week is uh, Rebecca Romain makes her yes, debut. Yes, we get to see number one. Yeah, as number one. Yep, that's exciting. I'm really I'm happy about that. And uh, Tig Notaro is back as Reno, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. also cool because she, you know, we she was made a good made a good kind of splash in Brother, and we haven't seen her since then. So I'm excited. And uh, yeah, Tilly and that and that Sporgu, it doesn't yep. want to let go of her. <laughs> so yeah, more more. Uh, Seven red burst shenanigans and yes, goo and number one, which is awesome. So very excited about that. Coming Re- this Thursday. Yeah, Rebecca Romain has talked very excitedly about her role and that she's very, you know, she's very excited to, to be number one. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious to see how how it goes as well. So well, all right, all right are we good boys? Yeah, okay. I think that's it. Yep, they're ready. All right, well. Bye, everybody. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, and we will see you again next week. Take care. Bye, everybody. <laughs>